The following reading is taken from The Grace and Duty of Being Spiritually Minded by John Owen. Chapter 11. Deceit. A spiritual mindedness is in the affections. In the account given at the entrance of this discourse of what it is to be spiritually minded, it was reduced under three heads. The first was the habitual frame, disposition, and inclination of the mind in its affections. The second was the usual exercise of the mind in its thoughts, meditations, and desires about heavenly things. Thirdly was added, the complacency of mind in that relish and savor which it finds in spiritual things so thought and meditated on. The second of these has the second of these has hitherto alone been spoken to as that which leads away to the others, and gives the most sensible evidence of the state inquired after. In this consists a stream, which rising in the fountain of our affections runs into a holy rest and complacency of mind. The first and last I shall now handle together, and in this comprehend the account of what it is to be spiritually minded. Spiritual affections, in which the soul adheres to spiritual things, taken in such a savor and relish of them as that in which it finds rest and satisfaction, is a peculiar spring and substance of our being spiritually minded. This is that which I shall now further explain and confirm. The great contest of heaven and earth is about the affections of the poor worm which we call man. That the world should contend for them is no wonder. It is the best that it can pretend to. All things here below are capable of no higher ambition than to be possessed of the affections of men. And as they lie under the curse, it can do us no greater mischief than by prevailing in this design. But that the holy God should, as it were, engage in a contest and strive for the affections of man is an effect of infinite condescension and grace. This he does expressly. My son, he says, give me your heart. Proverbs 23, verse 26. It is our affections he asks for and comparatively nothing else. To be sure, he will accept of nothing from us without them. The most fat and costly sacrifice will not be accepted if it is without your heart. All the ways and methods of the dispensation of his will by his word, all the designs of his effectual grace are suited to and prepared for this end, namely, to recover the affections of man to himself. So he expresses himself concerning his word, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And as to the word of his grace, he declares it to the same purpose in chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart in the heart of your seed, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And on the other side, all the artifices of the world, all the paint it puts on its face, all the great promises it makes, and the false appearances and attires it clothes itself with by the help of Satan, have no other end but to draw and keep the affections of man to itself. And if the world be preferred before God in this address, which is made to us for our affections, our damnation would be just with the world to eternity and be rejected by him whom we have rejected. Proverbs 1, 24-31 Our affections are upon the manner our all. Dear all we have to give or bestow, 
the only power of our souls in which we may give away ourselves from ourselves and become another's. Other faculties of our souls, even the most noble of them, are suited to receive into our own advantage by our affections. We can give away what we are and who have. By this we give our hearts to God as he requires. Therefore to him we give our affections to whom we give ourselves and all that we have and to whom we give them not. Whatever we do give, upon a manner we give nothing at all. And what we do to or for others, whatsoever is good, valuable, or praiseworthy in it, proceeds from the affection in which we do it. To do anything for others without an animating affection is but a contempt of them. For we judge them really unworthy that we should do anything for them. To give to the poor upon their importunity without pity or compassion. To supply the wants of the saints without love or kindness with other actings and duties of the like nature, are things of no value, things that recommend us neither to God nor men. It is so in general with God and the world. Whatsoever we do in the service of God, whatever duty we perform on His command, whatever we undergo or suffer for His namesake, if it doesn't proceed from the cleaving of our souls to Him by our affections, it is despised by Him, he doesn't own it, as if a man would give all the substance of his house for love. It would utterly be contemned. Song of Solomon 8, verse 7. It is not to be brought or purchased with riches. So if a man would give to God in the substance of his house without love, it would in like manner be despised. And however, on the other hand, we may be diligent, industrious, and sedulous in and about the things of this world. Yet, if it have not our affections, we are not of the world. We do not belong to it. Dear, the seat of all sincerity, which is a jewel of divine human conversation, the life and soul of everything that is good and praiseworthy, whatever men pretend as their affections are, so are they. Hypocrisy is a deceitful interposition of the mind on various reasons and pretenses between man's affections and their possession in which a man appears to be what he is not. Sincerity is the open avowalment of the reality of men's affections, which renders them good and useful. Affections are in the soul as a helm in the ship. If it be laid hold on by a skillful hand, he turns the whole vessel which way he pleases. If God has a powerful hand of his grace upon our affections, he turns our souls to a compliance with his institutions, instructions, and mercy, afflictions, trials, all sorts of providences, and holds them firm against all winds and storms of temptation, that they shall not hurry them on pernicious dangers. Such a soul alone is tractable and pliable to all intimations of God's will. All others are stubborn and obstinate, stout-hearted and far from righteousness. And when the world has a hand on our affections, it turns the mind with all industry of the soul to its interest and concerns. And it is in vain to contend with anything that has a power of our affections in its disposal. It will prevail at last. On all these considerations, it is of the highest importance to consider aright how things are stated in our affections and what is the prevailing bent of them. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, saith the wise man. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Every man has his edge, which may be sharpened by outward helps and advantages. The predominant inclination of a man's affections is his edge. According as that is said, 
So he cuts and it works. That way he is sharp and keen, but blunt to all other things. Now because it must be that our affections are either spiritual or earthly in a prevailing degree, did either God has our hearts or the world, did our edges towards heaven or toward things here below, before I come to give an account of the nature and operations of spiritual affections, I shall consider and propose some of those arguments and motives which God is pleased to make use of to call off our affections from the desirable things of this world. For as they are weighty and cogent, such as cannot be neglected without the greatest contempt of divine wisdom and goodness, so they serve to press and enforce those arguments and motives that are proposed to us to set our affections on things that are above, which is to be spiritually minded. First, God has, in all manner of instances, poured contempt on the things of this world in comparison of the things spiritual and heavenly. All things here below were at first made beautiful and in order, and were declared by God himself to be exceeding good, and that not only in therapy and in nature, but in the use in which they were designed. They were then desirable to men, and the enjoyment of them would have been a blessing without danger or temptation, for they were the ordinance of God to lead us to the knowledge of him and love to him. But, since the entrance of sin in which the world fell under the curse and into the power of Satan, the things of it, in his management, are become effectual means to draw off the heart and affection from God. For it is a world, and the things of it is summed up by the apostle. 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16 to strive alone for our affections to be the objects of them. Sin and Satan do but woo for the world, to take them off from God. By them does the God of this world blind the eyes of them that do not believe. And the principal way in which he works in them is by promises of satisfaction to all the lust of the minds of men, with a proposal of whatever is dreadful and terrible in the lack of them. Being now in this state and condition and used to this end through the craft of Satan and the folly of the minds of men, God has showed by various instances that they are all vain, empty, unsatisfactory, in every way to be despised in comparison of eternal things. He did it most eminently and signally in the life, death, and cross of Christ. What can be seen or found in this world after the Son of God has spent his life in it, not having where to lay his head, and after he went out of it, on the cross, had there been aught of real worth and things here below, certainly he had enjoyed it, if not crowns and empires which were all in his power, yet such goods and possessions as men of sober reasonings and moderate affections esteem a competency, but things were quite otherwise disposed to manifest that there is nothing of value or use in these things, but only to support nature to the performance of service to God, or in their service of all to eternity. He never attained, he never enjoyed more than the daily supplies of bread out of the stores of providence, in which alone he has instructed us to pray for. Matthew 6 verse 11, In his cross the world proclaimed all its good qualities and all its powers, and is given to them that believe its naked face to view and contemplate. Nor is it now one jot more calmly than it was when it had gotten Christ on the cross. So is that inference and conclusion of the Apostle in Galatians 6.14. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in which the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. 
Since I believed, since I have had a sense of the power and virtue of the cross of Christ, I have done with all things in this world. It is a dead thing to me, nor have I any affection for it. This is that which made the difference between the promises of the old covenant and the new, for they were many of them about temporal things, the good things of this world and this life. Those of the new are mostly a thing spiritual and eternal. God would not call off the church wholly from a regard to the things, until he has given a sufficient demonstration of their emptiness, vanity, and sufficiency in the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Where are you going so fast, my friend? What means this rising so early and going to bed late, eating the bread of carefulness? Why this diligence? Why these contrivances? Why these savings and hoardings of riches and wealth? To what end is all this care and counsel? Alas, one says, it is to get that which is enough and enough this world for me and my children. Prefer them to raise an estate for them, which, if not so great as the others, may yet be a competency to give them some satisfaction in their lives and some reputation in the world. Fair pretenses. Neither shall I ever discourage any from the exercise of industry in their lawful callings. But yet, I know that with many this is but a pretense and a covering for a shameful engagement of their affections to this world. Therefore, in all these things, be persuaded sometimes to have an eye to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Behold how he is set before us in the gospel, poor, despised, reproached, persecuted, nailed to the cross, and all by this world. Whatever be your designs and aims, let his cross continually interpose between your affections and this world. If you are believers, your hopes are within a few days to be with him forevermore. To him you must give an account of yourselves and what you have done in this world. Will it be acceptable with him to declare what you have saved of this world, what you have gained, what you have preserved and embraced yourselves in, and what you have left behind you? Was this any part of his employment and business in this world? Has he left us an example for any such course? Therefore, no man can set his affections on things here below who has any regard to the pattern of Christ, or is in any measure influenced with the power and efficacy of his cross. My love is crucified, said a holy martyr of old. He whom his soul loved was so, and in him is love to all things here below. Do you therefore find your affections ready to be engaged to, or too much entangled with, the things of this world? Are your desires of increasing them, your hopes of keeping them, your fears of losing them, your love to them and delight in them, operative in your minds, possessing your thoughts and influencing your conversations? Turn aside a little, and by faith contemplate the life and death of the Son of God. A blessed mirror will it be, where you may see what contemptible things that they are which you perplex yourselves about. Oh, that any of us should love or esteem the things of this world, the power, riches, goods, or reputation of it, who have had a spiritual view of them, and the cross of Christ. Maybe it will be said that the circumstances mentioned were necessary to the Lord Christ. With respect to the special work he had to do as a Savior and Redeemer of the Church, and therefore it does not hence follow that we ought to be poor and want all things as he did. I confess it does not, 
and therefore it will all along make an allowance for honest industry in our callings. But this follows unavoidably upon this, that what he did for go and trample on for our sake, that ought not to be the object of our affections, nor can such affections prevail in us, if he dwell in our hearts by faith. Number two, he has done the same in his dealings with the apostles, generally with all that have been most dear to him, and instrumental to the interest of his glory in the world, especially since life and immortality were brought to light by the gospel. He had great work to do by the apostles, and that of the greatest use to his interest and kingdom. The laying of the foundations of the glorious kingdom of Christ in the world was committed to them. Who would not think that he should provide for them, if not principalities or popedoms, yet at least archbishoprics and bishoprics, with other good ecclesiastical dignities and preferments, by this might they have been made to converse with princes, and been freed from the contempt of the vulgar, but infinite wisdom did otherwise dispose of them and their concerns in this world. For as God was pleased to exercise them with the common afflictions and calamities of this life, which it makes use of to take off the sweetness of present enjoyments. So they lived and died in a condition of poverty, distress, persecution, and reproach. God set them forth as examples to other ends, namely of light, grace, zeal, and holiness in their lives, was to manifest of how little concern to our own blessedness or an interest in this love is the abundance of all things here below is also that the lack of them all may consist with the highest participation of his love and favor. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 9, 11, and 13. I think to God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle to the world, and to angels, and to men. Even to this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, and are the offscouring of all things to this day. And if the consideration of this be not of weight with others, undoubtedly it ought to be so with them who are called to preach the gospel, and are the successors to the apostles. There can be nothing more uncouth, absurd, and shameful Nothing more opposite to the intimation of the wisdom and will of God in his dealings with those first and most honorable dispensers of it than for such persons to seek and follow greedily after secular advantages and worldly power, riches, wealth, and honor. So there has been in former ages an endeavor to separate such persons as were by any means dedicated to the ministry of the gospel from all secular dignities and revenues. Yea, some maintained that they were to enjoy nothing of their own but to live on alms or the free contributions of the people. But this was quickly condemned as heresy, and John Wycliffe and others. Yet, another sort set up that would pretend thereunto as to themselves, though they would not oblige all others to the same rule. This produced some swarms of begging friars whom they of the church who were in possession of wealth and power thought me to laugh at, and let alone. Of late years, this contest is at an end, the clergy have happily gotten a victory, and esteem all due to them that they can by any ways obtain. Nor is there any greater crime than for a man to be otherwise minded. For these things are not our present concern. From the beginning, though, it was not so. And it is well if, in such a way, 
and are able to maintain the frame of mind inquired after, which is life and peace. God continues to cast contempt on the things by giving always incomparably the greatest portion of them to the vilest men and his own avowed enemies. This was a temptation under the old covenant, but is highly instructive under the new. None will judge all things to be of real value which a wise man casts out daily to pigs, making little or no use of them. At this day, the greatest, most noble, wealthy, and fruitful parts of the earth are given to the great Turk, with some other eastern potentates, either Mohammedans or pagans who are prepared for eternal destruction. And if we look near home, we may see in whose hands is the power of the chiefest nations of Europe, and to what end is it used? The utmost of what some Christian professors among ourselves are intent in designing upon is that which would render them wondrously happy in their own apprehensions. Put hundreds of them together, and it would not answer the waste made by the forementioned beasts every day. Does not God proclaim in this that the things of this world are not to be valued or esteemed? If they were so, they had a real worth in themselves. Would the holy and righteous God make such a distribution of them to most of those whom he loves, who enjoy his favor, not only have comparatively the meanest share of them, but are exercised with all the evils that the destitution and want of them can be accompanied with? His open and avowed enemies, in the meantime, have more than they know what to do with, who would set his heart and affections on those things which God pours into the bosoms of the vilest men to be a snare to them, here and an aggravation of their condemnation forever. It seems they may go and take the world, and take the curse, death, and hell along with it. But what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can any man do on the consideration of this? He will not forego all of his hopes and expectations from God, but retreat to the faith of things spiritual and eternal is containing an excellency in them incomparably above that day he enjoyed here below. God continually gives perpetual examples of their uncertainty and unsatisfactoriness and the utter disappointment of men that have had expectations from them. The ways of this are so various, and the instances so multiplied, is that most men in the world, unless they are like the fool in the gospel, who beat his soul, take it ease for many years, because his barns were full, live in perpetual fears and apprehensions, that they shall speedily lose whatever they enjoy, or are under the power of carnal security. It is to this consideration of them, there is such an account given by the wise man as to which nothing can be added, or which no reason or experience is able to contradict. Ecclesiastes 2 by these and the like ways does God cast contempt on all things here below, discovering the folly and falseness of the promises which a world makes use of, who are allure our affections to itself. This, therefore, is to be laid as a foundation in all our considerations to what or whom we shall cleave by our affections. That God has not only declared the insufficiency of the things to give us that rest and happiness which we are seeking after, but he also poured contempt upon them in his holy wise disposal of them in the world. Secondly, God has added to this their vanity by shortening the lives of men, reducing their continuance in the world to so short and uncertain a season 
is that it is impossible they should take any solid satisfaction in what they enjoy here below. So it is expressed by the psalmist, Behold, you have made my days as an handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before you. Hence he draws two conclusions. One, that every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Number two, that every man walks in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heaps up riches and knows not who shall gather them. Psalm 39 verses 5 and 6. The uncertainty and shortness of the lives of men render all their endeavors and contrivances about earthly things both vain and foolish. When men lived eight or nine hundred years, they had opportunity to suck out all the sweetness that was in creature comforts, to make large provisions of them, and to have long projections about them. But when they had so, they all issued in that violence, oppression, and wickedness which brought the flood on the world of ungodly men. And it still so abides, the more of. And the longer men enjoy these things, the more, without the sovereign preservative of grace, will they abound in sin and provocation of God. But God has reduced the life of man to a small pittance of seventy years, casting what may fall out of a longer continuance into travail and sorrow. Besides, that space is shortened with the most, by various and innumerable instances and occasions. Therefore, in these seventy years, consider how long it is before men begin to have a taste, or gust, of the things of this life. How many things fall in cross, to make us weary of them before the end of our days? How few among us, not one of a thousand, attain that age. What is the uncertainty of all men living as to the continuance of their lives to the next day? And we shall see that the holy wise God has left no such season for their enjoyment, as might put a value upon them. And when, on the other hand, it is remembered that this man, who is of such short continuance in this world, is yet made for eternity, eternal blessedness or misery, which state depends wholly on his interests on things above. In setting his affections on them, they must forfeit all their reason, as well as bid defiance to the grace of God, who give them up unto things below.